Here we go. So we are in this um, series called The Fruit of the Spirit, and I am learning so much about all of this and how these work together so well. And if you recall, um, one of the most significant truths we learned a few weeks ago about these fruit of the Spirit is that it's not like a checklist for the believer to be trying to work on in their life as much as it is living with and in and allowing the Holy Spirit to live through you and that these are the evidences, these are the byproduct, the product of living in the Spirit in that relationship that you have. Because without the help of the Holy Spirit, we will tend to just create the works of the flesh that we read about in, in, in chapter 5 of Galatians. And then Paul goes on to say, but if you walk in the Spirit and if you live in the Spirit, then these are the fruit of the Spirit. Now. <laughs> and then I saw an article in the Babylon Bee this week that, if you're not familiar with the Babylon Bee, it's a satirical Christian newspaper that pokes fun at us Christians. It's an awesome website. If you're familiar with The Onion, it's kind of like that for Jesus people. And so here's the article I found. Local believer shows no evidence of salvation before morning coffee. So maybe, maybe all that's required to live in the Spirit is just to drink a cup of coffee. I don't know. It seems like there's more to it than that. But the article um, talks about a gentleman by the name of Alan Carter um, that exhibits absolutely no evidence of being saved from the time he wakes up each morning until the moment he has his morning cup of coffee. He's angry, bitter, impatient, unkind, and displays absolutely no fruit of the Spirit until he gets caffeine in his system. Co-workers told reporters, he is like a completely different person. So maybe that would help. And I'm not opposed to getting, you know, the bean of the vine. Or the, what is it, the bean of the bush? I don't know. As opposed to the fruit of the vine. But, but we, need, we need the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And maybe, that's, maybe that'll help some of you. Um, it was funnier to me when I read it on Tuesday. <laughs> and I was like really tickled about being able to, to read that to you this morning. And I got this little picture, and I put it on my slideshow, and I'm, anyway. But that's the way my mind works sometimes. It's funnier to me than the people who hear it, but that's okay, because I always laugh at my own jokes. And so I'm a really happy guy, because I think I'm funny. So we also learned uh, last week that we are grouping these fruit of the Spirit into three categories, if you will. Because there's nine of them, and I didn't want to have a 10-week-long series. So it seemed to me, and, and some of the, the articles that I read and some of, the, some of the information that I was able to digest, that there are three groupings, if you will, of these graces. There are, there are um, graces, if you will, or fruit that um, would be most displayed in our relationship towards God. So we called that Godward. And, and those were the first three of, of uh, love, joy, and peace that we studied last week. And we said, you know, you got to start with love because out of love flow the other fruit of the Spirit. And then this week is more manward, if you will, fruit of the Spirit. So it's displayed, if you will. It's grown and it's evidenced by the relationship we have with each other. And then next week, we'll cover the ones that are more inward, and that is faith, meekness, and temperance. So today we're going to study long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. And in your 
Bible, it may call them different things. And, and there's an easy explanation for that. And that is that there were so few Greek words that were used when they wrote the original text. And we have so many more words now that explain these same words that, okay, for, for instance, um, um, like the word long-suffering that we're going to learn here. In, in a lot of Bibles, that is simply patience. But I'll be honest with you. I love the word long-suffering. To me, it, is, it goes much deeper than just like I'm being patient because I'm not looking at my watch while my wife is in Target. That's patience. That's not necessarily long-suffering. Right, So the first thing we're going to look at here, we're going to read through Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and then we're going to jump in and we're going to study long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness today. And keep in mind that I do think these are great characteristics that we need in our lives, but please understand that although you can attempt to work on them, it is less effective than if you simply walk in the Spirit and it becomes a natural fruit of that relationship. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and here's the first three we studied last week, love, joy, and peace. And then this week, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. And then next week, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. What a great passage of Scripture. And I would encourage you to go back and read from the beginning of chapter 5 to how we got here because Paul lays it out for us very well on how we get to this end of the chapter here. So the word today, long-suffering, is not used much anymore. Um, it is, it, it, but, but, but in my opinion, it's so much deeper and richer than just the word patience, because it explains and refers to our ability to suffer Longer, right? Long suffering, longer suffering. So we actually have the ability when we walk in the spirit to suffer longer. One of the commentaries I read after is Vine, and he says this about the word long suffering. Long suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation, which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. It is the opposite of anger and most closely associated with mercy. What a wonderful character trait. Let me tell you where I think we have a little edge here. For the believer, long-suffering has purpose. So we are being long-suffering because something is getting worked on. And so we we have patience. But we're also willing to accept some wrong in our lives because we believe something is happening that's going to end up being worth our long suffering. I don't know what it is, and you don't know what it is, but I believe God knows what it is. And there's an advantage that we have as a follower of Christ, as we live in the Spirit, knowing that our long suffering is going to pay off, knowing that our long suffering has a purpose. And I think we as Christians ought to be long-suffering because God has been long-suffering to us. It just makes the most sense. And why has he been long-suffering to us? Because he loves us. 
and he wants the things in our life that shouldn't be there to get better and to change so we can live a fulfilled life as followers of him. I didn't put it up on the board here, but if you want to maybe read sometime the first part of Romans chapter uh, 2, there's a phrase in there that says the goodness of God leads to repentance. And it's just like God is just willing to be long-suffering with all of our shortcomings because he knows that that goodness that he is demonstrating will lead to repentance. A couple practical reasons why I think it's a good idea for us as believers to practice long-suffering. The first thing is that God has been long-suffering with us, and we want him to continue. Right? So I feel like um, there's an incredible illustration that fits this so well. It was a story or a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18. It's called the, the, the unfaithful steward or the unjust servant. And what it is, is this king, this Lord, was <laughs> collecting some accounts. And he had this one fellow that owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that doesn't really mean a lot to us today because we're, we're not familiar with what the word talent is. But if, if you want to kind of try and figure this out like I like to do, what a talent is, it's not a direct correlation to what our economy is today, but one talent was worth about 20 years wages for a day laborer. One talent. So at $7.50 an hour, Times a 40-hour work week, that's 300 bucks. Times a year, times 20, you have $320,000. That's one talent. This guy owed the Lord 10,000 talents. So you multiply 10,000 times 320, and again, it's not a direct correlation, but that's $3.2 billion. I just figured that out in my head. I don't have that in my notes. Yeah. So $3.2 billion, this guy gets forgiven. So, so he begs and cries and pleads and give more time. And, and, the, and, and the, the Bible says that Lord had compassion on him and forgave him the whole debt. Can you imagine the feeling that you would have as you walked out of that place? Man, I've just been forgiven. I mean, there's no way I could have ever made enough money to pay, pay back that Lord. He walks out, right? And he sees a guy that owes him what the Bible calls 100 pence, which is about 100 silver coins, which back then was about two months' salary for a day laborer. So again, working the same math, that's about 2,500 bucks. So he just got forgiven $3.2 billion with a B. He walks out, sees a guy, and says to him, pay me what you owe me right now. And the guy says, same thing he told the Lord, please be patient with me, and I'll pay you the whole amount back. This guy grabs him by the collar and yells at him and then throws him in prison. Because he hasn't, that never made any sense to me. How are they going to make any money to pay you back in prison? I don't get all of that. But pays him all back, and maybe there was a way that you worked it off. I don't know. So he, he, he throws him in prison, 
Well, then the Lord hears about this behavior and then calls the debt due again. And I think the lesson in there for us is that if we really had a genuine understanding of all we have been forgiven, we would be much more long-suffering with any possible wrongdoing that we feel somebody's doing towards us or any way that we feel like we have been taken advantage of because of the incredible forgiveness that we have experienced from God himself. Because God has been long-suffering to you and I, and I want him to continue to be so. Another good reason why I think that we ought to exercise long-suffering in our life is because we don't always know the whole story. And I don't know what they've done to offend you, and I don't know what's going on, but I also know this, that there's always another side to the story, and there's probably another side to that story. We only, so, so here's what we do. We react and we respond based on the information that we have received and our perception of what reality is. And so we respond accordingly, and we are not long-suffering. But if we knew what the whole story was, maybe we would have backed off a little bit and understood. We don't know the whole story. God does. God knows the whole story. But there's always more to the story. And I don't know how slam dunk your, con, your, your, your case is, but there's always more to it that you don't know. And you, don't, you just don't know. And if you just admit that you don't know, it's going to go a long way to helping you be long-suffering. Because have you ever been in that position where you felt like an absolute jerk? Because, I know none of you ever have, but it's funny how many wives just looked at their husbands. It's like, it's like you were, I mean, you were dead to rights, but you had every right to be upset about something, and then you just found out a little piece of information that just changes the whole situation, and now you feel like a jerk. I had no idea. And you just back off. Why don't we just accept the fact that we don't have any idea? It'll just help you be more long-suffering. So not only do we not know the whole story, another thing is, is we don't know what God's doing in their lives that maybe he doesn't need your help with, right? God's got it. God's working on that. Now, maybe God does want to use you in their life. And God, maybe, maybe you are the tool that God wants to use to, to form something. But, <laughs> but maybe he just doesn't need a sledgehammer right now. And maybe that's like the only tool you have in your shed. Because a sledgehammer fixes everything, right? Maybe God doesn't need your sledgehammer abilities right now. But God is working on their life, and you don't even see it, and you don't know it, and you don't know the whole story. So you are angry, and you're going to make a point, and you're going to let them have it, and you don't know what God is already doing in their lives. You know, so much of this is just getting some godly perspective, right? Just looking at this situation from God's point of view helps you be more long-suffering. Another reason why I think it's a good idea for us to be long-suffering is because long-suffering promotes unity. And this seems very different from the rest of this list, but I can't avoid it because it's right in Scripture. And we won't take time to read it now, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, there's a key phrase there. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity. But it, it references before that, 
long-suffering in the body of Christ keeps unity. Now, that, doesn't that make sense? I mean, if, if, we, if we were long-suffering with each other, okay? All right, let's just, let's, just, let's just take it down a notch here. Let's not talk about this body of Christ. Let's talk about the, the most immediate sphere of influences that you are in every day, like your family, like kids to your mom and dad, like, like wives to their husbands and husbands to their wives and moms and dads to their kiddos. Let me tell you, there is, there is no greater way to, to evidence the fruit of the Spirit than in family relationships. You know why? Because that's when you're the most real. That's when you are who you are. Coming to church is a great thing, but we're a bunch of fakes when we come to church. We are at our very best behavior. Everything is smiles and fairy tales and unicorns. We think when we come to church, everything is rainbows and we're all happy and we just love Jesus. Until you wake up on Tuesday morning and you slip in and you're yelling at the kids because they're not moving fast enough. Right? It's just this, but, but in our relationships with our husbands and our wives and our kids and our families, that's the most intimate and that's the most real. You talk about reality, television, that's reality. Is when nobody's watching, that's who you really, really are. And that's where you can really figure out how much fruit of the Spirit is being grown in your life. And so you, you don't always know. And yet when we're long-suffering and we give people some time and we show some mercy, it makes such a difference in the unity of a group in your home, and, you know, if we jump to conclusions all the time, it just stirs up strife. It just makes us angry. It just creates hurt when we assume. Right? It just creates such anger because you assume that about me. And that's what happens. And we end up regretting the responses that we've had. So my point being that if we would be more long-suffering in our more immediate and close relationships, it would create more of a sense of unity. I love that word, long-suffering, because there's a purpose behind all of this. So if we are long-suffering we possess that quality, I think this word gentleness just follows so beautifully. And the word gentleness, it, it, is, um, it is a misunderstood word. And, and now, in, in your Bible, it may be not gentleness. It might be goodness or it might be kindness. Because the actual Greek word is used 10 times in the New Testament. It's translated goodness four times. It's translated kindness four times. It's translated good one time, and it's translated gentleness only here. But I love the word, gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is a sign of confidence. The word is defined as the sympathetic kindness or sweetness of temper. 
I love this, which put, puts others at their ease and shrinks from giving pain. That's loaded with incredible information. It puts others at ease when they're around you because you're a gentle soul. You have, you have a flavor about you. You have, you have a spirit about you that makes people feel comfortable because they know you're going to be kind to them. It's quiet in here. Because this is tough stuff. But do but you see how it's connected to long-suffering? When you're long-suffering and you realize that there is a purpose behind what you're experiencing and what you are going through and the violation of your own spirit, and you know that God's working and you don't know the whole story and, and you know that it's important that you're long-suffering, then it's easier for you to give off this sense of gentleness that other people feel at ease around you because they know you're going to be a nice guy. They know that you are going to evidence this fruit of the Spirit in your life. It is that quality that makes other people feel at ease when around you because they know you'll be kind. And those who are led by the Spirit are going to be gentle or kind in the lives and in the lives of the folks around you. It is, it is, it is most often referred to a characteristic of God himself. And this is how we should treat each other. Now, I do want to read this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. I'm only going to put up on the board the last verse there. I'm going to read to you verses 30 and 31. Then you'll see where I'm going to read here in verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Then he says this, and be ye kind one to another. <laughs> Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And there's a beauty there. There's a, there's a sense of calm and ease and rest. And let me tell you, in a family situation, this makes all the difference in the world. And this is one, this is one big thing for us in our family, is I want to have peace at home. I, I don't want to walk into a war zone. I want to know that when we sit down for supper together and we hold hands and we pray, and we listen to each other talk, and we, and we enter into relationship when we're at home, that there is a sense of peace. There's, because we're going to treat each other well. We don't yell. We don't scream. We don't, unless she sees a spider or something. But it's like we are, we, we're, we are gentle with each other. And I think that, that, that assuming the best about each other goes a, lot way, a long way in your home. And that relationship that you can enjoy and that sent, sense of kindness that you can experience in a home situation goes a long way to your kids wanting to be a part of your life, to husband wanting to come home, to wife wanting to come home. And, 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 and I think that's the, the first immediate sphere of influence that you have is your family and be gentle and kind to the folks that you spend so much time with. Do we behave this way? 
Do we behave in such a way and do we give off an air that causes other people to want to be around us because they know they're going to be treated well? Or do we give off an air of superiority and judgment with our sharp words, cold shoulders, and condescending attitudes, which would discourage anybody from feeling comfortable around us? So, I want you to see the the, the relationship here. Long-suffering is how I respond when I am treated unfairly, okay? Gentleness, then, because I am long-suffering, and I know there's a purpose behind what's going on, gentleness creates an environment around me that people feel comfortable and at ease because they know that I'm going to be kind. Goodness is the other arm of this, and goodness is that active process. I heard it defined this way. It is a characteristic energized to express itself in actively doing good. So the idea is that that long-suffering is willing to accept the wrongs done. Gentleness provides a comfortable environment for people to feel at ease around you because they know that you're going to be kind. And then goodness is that doing of the good deed. It's It's like now you're being proactive and you are doing things to make other people's lives better. Great Bible study would be these two individuals in the, in, the, in, in, the, in the New Testament book of Acts. There's one named Barnabas and one named Dorcas. Barnabas is described as a good man. We just, we, in, in our home group, in our, in our, in our uh, community group, we, just, we were just studying about Barnabas. And then I heard a fantastic message about him uh, last month about the different characteristics of this guy named Barnabas. Barnabas was not his original name. Jonas was his original name. And they changed it to Barnabas because it better described who he was. A son of encouragement. He was a good man, the Bible says, and full of faith in Acts chapter 11, verse 24. Dorcas was a good woman. Now, I feel bad for Dorcas. Who would name your daughter Dorcas? Right? But apparently it did not, apparently it did not affect the impact that she had on other people. And I'm sorry, if your name is Dorcas, I'm just not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to be funny. But Dorcas was a good woman. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, she was full of good works and deeds. Even at the end of chapter 9, it shows the fact that there were people who were gathered at her deathbed bringing the blankets and linens that she had created for them to show what a good person this was. And those that are led by the Spirit are going to have this quality of goodness in their lives. So a few thoughts about being good and doing good, and then we'll wrap things up here. We are made for this. I mean, that's that's the beauty of this. We are made to do good. I mean, this this is why we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're called to this. This is a fantastic verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Unto what end? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are created for good works, for a purpose bigger than yourself, for something outside of your own needs meeting the needs of other people. You are created for good works. We're made for this. 
That's what's exciting about it. This is not an option for the believer. This is what we were made to do. Goodness is the active ingredient that causes us to want to do something positively good for somebody else. We're made for this. Not only that, we should do good to everyone, but especially to believers. So, so before you take this wrong, I want to read the verse to you. It says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. And as you have therefore opportunity. I love that because we got plenty of opportunities if we're looking for them. As you have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. You heard that, right? So he's not saying we only have to be good to other believers. He's saying we are supposed to do good unto all men comma, especially unto them who are the household of faith. So it's like a little extra level there. Like we really ought to make that a priority if we hear of a need or if we see something. We just take it a step further and just make it a priority to do good for each other. Now, now, there's two kinds of people right here. There's the kind of people that said, that they'll say to themselves, yeah, that's right. There's a lot of people that need to be doing good stuff for me. So if that's you, listen to me. You're supposed to be doing the good stuff. So don't be thinking, it's been a long time since anybody did anything good for me. You need to be thinking, when was the last time I did something good for somebody else? And get your mind off of you. And then the other people are in here, you're already looking for those opportunities. It's in you. I mean, it's what we were made to do. Is this goodness, these good works, that which we were created to perform, is part of who we are. Especially the believers. And then my last thought here on this is, is our playbook for goodness is the Bible. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. But let me read this scripture and just see if it resonates with you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, two verses, 16 and 17, say this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So in other words, we got the Bible from God. And then it says this. Here's how it's profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So those are the four things the Bible does for us. And then what's the purpose behind all of that? That the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we are supposed to be studying the Bible so that we can become who we need to be for the purpose of doing good works. That's why it's important to spend time in the Word of God, in the Bible, because that's our playbook. Folks, listen to me. These fruit of the Spirit are such a beautiful marriage behind you making the effort to become more Christ-like and you spending time with the Holy Spirit to make that happen. And I believe this. I believe that the Holy Spirit is letting you know what areas are not being evidenced in your life. Some of your fruit's all shriveled up. Some of it's like nasty looking. All right? Some of it just ain't there. So my question, we studied six of them already, right? So my question is like, okay, so what what is it that, that the Holy Spirit is clearly communicating to me that I need to work on? Do I need to be more gentle? 
with my wife? I didn't need you to answer that for me. I was just like saying, that was a rhetorical question. Do I, do I need to do more good things? Do I, do I need to begin to exercise goodness a little bit better? I don't know. Do I need to learn how to love, like agape love people? I don't know. What is it that the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, let's tag team on this. Let's, let's team up. Let's, let's make this happen. And as we focus on that and we, and we begin to communicate with that inner man, that inner Holy Spirit that lives with us and does life with us and wants to make us more Christ-like, I believe that as we communicate with him, things are going to start to kind of get going on in our brain and we're going to start to recognize areas of our life that are weaknesses to us. Where we need to be bearing this beautiful fruit of the Spirit. We'll wrap this up next week, I believe. But I don't ever want to make the assumption that everybody who attends church here is on board with this whole thing of the life of, of faith and, 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 and trusting Christ. And so if you have any questions about that, we're here for you. And you got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in order to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, we can, we can create fake fruit, right? The plastic fruit that you see on pretty centerpieces. We can do that. But I'm talking about real genuine fruit that does people good is what we have to have from the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that happens, that transaction takes place whenever we enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want to help make that happen. If you have any questions this morning, we are here for you regardless of what it is. If you want to know more about a church, if you want to know more about Jesus, if you want to know more about the messages, we are, we are here for you and we want to make that happen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you and thank you for... The clarity of the word and, and the, the Bible that it gives us this incredible information. And I pray, Father, you would just help us as followers of you to wake up and realize that coming to church is just not all that it's about. It's about taking what we learn and this relationship that we enjoy and affecting the world that we live in, our families, our workplaces and becoming the light and salt that this world needs. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.